Amen. Thank you, worship team and band, for being with us. Uh, we have four services today, uh, so they are putting in a long day's work, and I'm grateful for them and the way that they lead us. Well, tis the season for the wish list, isn't it? Uh, for some of you, you might have seen wish lists this year that were pretty elaborate and pretty specific. Other wish lists are pretty simple and short. Every year, my mom just says the same thing. I just want you to come home for a couple days, right? Just want to see you. Pretty simple. Some of us remember the days when you made a wish list based on the Sears or JCPenney catalog. Anybody remember? Like flipping through, circling things, making out your list. Now, of course, it's online and there's online you know, ways that you can do that. There's all different ways that you can make a list. But the reality is we all have a wish list, don't we? It might not be written down, but we all have one. And every time I think about our secret wishes, what we really want this holiday season, uh, I think of a project that my oldest daughter, Eliza, was a part of in preschool up at the Brentwood campus several years ago. The project was called My Secret Wish. And so it was a class project in which each of the boys and girls in preschool had the opportunity to take a piece of paper and draw out a picture of what their secret wish was. And then they were compiled into a book, and the book made the rounds with the different families in the class. And so when it came to us, we opened it up with some curiosity. Here's a picture of Eliza and Lexi, my oldest two, when they were a little bit younger. And so as we're going through the book, we see a lot of typical things that preschoolers would put in there. Uh, this one girl put a picture of a castle and said, my secret wish is that I want to live at Disney World in Cinderella's castle. It was a little boy, drew a picture of a dinosaur. My secret wish is to have my very own pet dinosaur. Never mind, kid, that it would probably eat you, right? So then it was a little boy who said, I wanna, I wanna, my secret wish is to have a volcano, my very own volcano in my backyard. Again, don't know that that's the best idea, but great imagination. My daughter, her request, her secret wish, on the other hand, was a little more modest. If you can tell, she drew a picture of she and her sister Lexi in their bunk beds. And it says, Eliza's secret wish is for Lexi to be quiet so Eliza can sleep. <laughs> simple, right? And sometimes that's all we want is something simple for Christmas. But as I mentioned a moment ago, we all have a secret wish. We all have longings in our heart. And so that's why you have spent the last month shopping and preparing, and baking, and cooking, and making travel arrangements. Because we all long for the scene in this moment, this time of year, in which we're gathered with our loved ones, in which we're enjoying the best food our culture has to offer, in which we are at peace and rest for a moment. And brothers and sisters, that's not a bad thing. And here's the reason why. Because it is an echo of a longing that God put deep in the human heart for the ultimate rest, the ultimate celebration, the ultimate feast that we're going to enjoy someday in a place that we call heaven. This Advent, we as the church at Station Hill and all of our campuses have been walking through the book of Revelation, reminding ourselves that Jesus is gonna come back and complete what he started in the first coming. So this time of year, as we celebrate his first coming, is an appropriate time of year to look forward to his second coming and the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Let's read about and long for that fulfillment today. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from Revelation chapter 22, verses one through seven. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. 
The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Speak, Lord, for your servants or listening. Pray with me this afternoon. Oh Lord Jesus, how we long for that day. Our longings now are unfulfilled, but we know that one day Jesus will return and will usher in everything that you've promised. And so on this Christmas Eve, as a church, we say, come Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this afternoon. We live in a city that is growing and communities that are growing, and so you have probably seen scaffolding. Sometimes that scaffolding is built around a new work of construction that's going up. People curious what's going up behind those walls, behind those bars, what's taking place there. Sometimes that scaffolding goes up around a building that already exists that's being restored and being made new. And what's interesting is, as we get to the last two chapters of the Bible, that's very much the picture that we get of our current reality, of our current world, that it's like the scaffolding, and behind the scaffolding, behind the veil, God is building the ultimate reality. It says in chapter 21, verse 1, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so it's interesting because the picture that we get is that if we fall in love with the scaffolding, then we've missed the ultimate reality. And yet, that's what we so often do in our world. We become infatuated with the stuff of this world and we miss that there is a more grand, deeper, and truer reality behind it all. And that's the vision that John is given at the very end of the Bible of the ultimate picture of the new heaven and the new earth. All throughout the Bible, there had always been places where heaven and earth overlapped, where the presence of God met man. Now we see the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. And there are three word pictures in 21 and 22 in the last two chapters of the Bible that help us understand what this ultimate reality will be like. Number one is this. Ultimately, ultimately, heaven is the ultimate city. It is the ultimate city. And so in verse 9 of chapter 21, it says, Then one of the seven angels came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. What's interesting when we think about cities, we often think about the skyline that we have on the screen. We think about steel and concrete, and we think about places to eat and history. But cities wouldn't be cities without the people. And so ultimately, the city that John sees is the people of God. And they are dressed in glory, like a bride on her wedding day. As I often say, <coughs> excuse me, we don't go to church, we are the church. 
And this city is absolutely stunning in its appearance. It's symbolic in many ways of all of the people of God. It's got 12 gates marked by the names of the 12 tribes of Israel representing all the people who were faithful and believed in God from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The 12 foundations of the city, upon them are written the names of the disciples representing the New Covenant. This represents all of God's people. The building materials are unique. They are precious stones and gems. They are, as we've sung about and heard about our whole lives, the pearly gates on the streets of gold. But if you think about it, those things are only building materials in heaven. Some of you guys might have purchased for your wife or your loved ones, maybe a, a something made out of gold or a precious stone for Christmas. If you bought her something made out of concrete or asphalt, it might not go across so well, right? But that's the very word picture that we're given. That, that stuff is just the building materials of heaven, just the raw materials that are there. What's important is the presence of God holding secure and fast, protecting his people forever and ever. The second word picture that we have is that heaven is the ultimate temple. What's interesting about the city is, is it's described and laid out in Revelation 21, it's in the shape of a cube, which of course is perfect geometrically and mathematically, but it's also a shape that's found in one other place in the Bible, and that's in the Holy of Holies. So what John is seeing is that now all of heaven is the Holy of Holies, the place where God meets with man. And John says, I did not see a temple in it. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city, get this, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. We're not going to need artificial lights. We don't even need the sun and the moon because God's glory will be enough. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. So all the kings of the earth will recognize the greatness of the glory of God. And in heaven, we have the ultimate open door policy to God the Father. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. So how do I get into this ultimate city, into this ultimate temple? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father except through him. There is only one way into heaven, and that is by believing, putting your faith in, your total trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in the cross, and in the resurrection. That's your ticket into the ultimate reality, which leads us back to chapter 22 and number three, that heaven is the ultimate garden. Have you ever read the first couple of chapters of the Bible and said, man, I wonder what it would have been like to see the Garden of Eden. Man, what it would it be like to see all of creation in perfect harmony? Man, what would it look like to have seen the rivers, the four rivers that flow there? What would it have been like to see the lion and the lamb dwelling together in harmony? Here's the good news, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, deliberately, the vision that John sees in Revelation 22 reminds us that we are going to see Eden recreated in heaven. These pictures of the streams of living water of the tree of life that were forbidden to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 after the fall. Now they produce fruit, not just once a year, but all year round. 
We love it in our culture when it's peach season in the summer, right? If you love peaches, they are ripe and perfect, but only one time a year. Some of you love strawberries, but they're only ripe for a season. Some of us love apples in the fall and harvesting apples, but they're only really, really good and crisp one time a year. Well, in heaven, the tree of life will produce fruit for us that will be all year round. And for those of us who watch television, we, we see the news, we get discouraged about how broken the world is. There is good news because the leaves of the tree, John says, will be for the healing of the nations that one day all divisions, everything that keeps people apart, all of that will be overcome because of the work of the lamb the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world so that we could be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. So ultimately, heaven is a city, and with that, it's very hard, a garden. We sometimes see this in our cities today, just a small signpost that points to this. Anybody ever been to Central Park in New York City? Have you ever seen a picture of it from an aerial view? Here is one. Now, let me be real clear. I am not saying that New York City is heaven, okay? Like, don't get me wrong there. But my point is this, in all of our cities, we protect parks because we know there is something that mankind cannot build, that we need the trees that only God can create, the grass that he can make grow, the ponds and the rivers and the streams and the fresh water that only he can bring. And this is just a small signpost that points to the ultimate reality that heaven will be the perfect city made of God's people, that it will be the perfect temple by which we have fellowship with our God that is unhindered and the perfect garden in which we dwell forever and ever. And I hope this Christmas that knowing that God kept his promise in sending us a Messiah grows your heart to long for his second coming in which he will ultimately consummate his plan and fulfill all of these promises. I love to read, but let me be honest with you. Sometimes I like to cheat and read the end of the story first. Anybody like that in here? Here's the good news for us, brothers and sisters. We have the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins. And so knowing that, we can go back and read about his first coming and see it in a powerful light. Luke chapter two, verse four. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And when she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And in that same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord, the same glory that we were just reading about in Revelation, shone all around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the promised one, the Lord. This baby will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he 
favors. You see, in the original Christmas story, in the first coming of Jesus, the light had to break into the dark. The day is coming, brothers and sisters, as we just read in Revelation 22, when there will be no more dark because it will be all the glory of God. But until then, we're called to bring the light to the darkness. So it's why this Christmas Eve, as every Christmas Eve here at the church at Station Hill, we have placed our Advent wreath in the center of our worship center to represent that Christ is the center of our celebration and the center of our worship. We've spent Advent talking about the truths that Christ brings to the darkness, the four Advent candles of hope, of love, of joy, and of peace. But ultimately, on this night on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle, acknowledging that Jesus has come, and one day soon, he's coming again. And so until he returns and he abolishes the night, we are called to bring the light of Christ to our neighbors and the nations. And that's what this moment represents. As our staff comes, as our children come, we light the candles and the light comes from Christ to each and every one of us as we worship Jesus, the light of the world.
service. Let's stand together. Raise your candles high. God sent his son, his one and only son, to be the light of the world. One day soon, Jesus will return and put an end to the darkness once and for all. And so we declare, come Lord Jesus. Until he returns, we are called to share his light with others. So church family, go this Christmas Eve knowing you are loved and you are sent. Merry Christmas.